Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. A Mercedes terrify me on a Friday. I don't know what they're up to. They never just come out of the box and go, sweet, we're all over it. It's just like it's a pure panic. <laughs> Two Mercedes engine cars were on the podium at the British Grand Prix, but a Mercedes driver was only sat in one of them in another topsy-turvy weekend for the Brackley-based outfit. We're here to ask all the key questions from the weekend's racing. Like, did Mercedes' upgraded wing work as intended? Why are Mercedes struggling in high-speed corners where they were previously strong? And why are their pit stops so slow? Join me, Belfanes, on this episode of the Silver Arrows podcast as we discuss all the main talking points from the British Grand Prix. And to help us do all of that, we have Spanners from the Missed Apex podcast. Welcome, Spanners. Hey, Valve. This is the Mercedes podcast where if you mention any other team or driver, we can boo. Boo! That's my first question for you. What do you think about the booing and what do you think about the atmosphere? Because Silverstone was lit. Yeah. <laughs> nice. No, it's, it's a great question. I think boo as much as you want. You know, I know Tom loves to boo, so... Let's uh, let's do that. And introducing Tom, we have our in-house F1 tech here. Tom, how are you? Yeah, good. Thanks. Pleasure to be back. Um, I'm absolutely buzzing to be along, alongside Spanners again. Uh, he's an absolute idol of mine. So oh, get away! Get That's lovely. Thank you. <laughs> let's uh, let's get this party started. Then we'll start with race day shortly. But as normal, work our way through the weekend, starting with the Friday. As is becoming the norm for Mercedes, Tom, things really weren't looking very good after FP1 and 2, other than some good race pace on the softs. Yeah, it, it was a really scruffy start to the weekend, I think. Um, both both cars looked look to be struggling with a lot of understeer on turning, then snapping oversteer on the exits. It's basically exactly what you don't want as a driver. Um, and yeah, the pace wasn't really there, if I'm honest. Maybe on the softs, yeah, we saw... Uh, a couple of uh, good long runs from Lewis uh, with with really low deg, um, which then I guess is feeding them the information that they needed that 
to, to make the call later on in the race. George, similar similar sort of pace. I thought he was showing a lot more um, positive energy this weekend compared to, to Lewis, maybe. And I think he's, as we've seen, Lewis has been slightly ahead, maybe, coming into these races into this race in particular. And it's interesting to see actually him close the gap again, uh, mainly because I think, you know, Silverstone, there's not many of those hard breaking areas. So really seeing him come back into play, uh, which is really interesting to see. A Mercedes terrify me on a Friday. I don't know what they're up to. They never just come out of the box and go, sweet, we're all over it. It's just like, it's a pure panic. And one of the things is they don't seem to like to show their soft run pace. They don't like running low fuel. And then Twitter just goes like mad. You see Team Lewis Hamilton on Twitter just melting away on a Friday. They had thrown in the towel, basically going, what is this car? This is junk. And I was struggling to find that that thing to cling on to, where, that hopium. Where, where could I find any kind of hope? And it wasn't until Carlos Sainz came on the radio, Tom, and said, uh, oh, no, that Mercedes looks quick. Like, how, how can they tell? What are they looking at? where they suddenly went, oh, Mercedes have got race pace. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I do remember that, actually, uh, Carlos coming on and saying that. Uh, and then you, you're sat there thinking, uh, maybe they are quite quick. But yeah, the, the engineers will have access to data. They they've, they've have stacks of these lap times that they have to hand, and they know roughly how much um, Mercedes would be. I don't like to use the word sandbagging, but they have maybe in their pocket, so... Uh, all, of, all of that information that they have and, and are able to digest and go, okay, this is probably the target lap time that we're looking for. Okay, um, but for so, the yeah. sake of our hearts, why can't Mercedes ever do what Alpine did in FP1 or what Williams did in FP2? Why can't they ever just go, all right, we'll take 10 kilograms out and just pop up to the, uh, the to the top of the timing sheets and just settle everyone down a bit? Because they had the race pace but they didn't have quality pace. So like, just, hey, show us a little, help us out. Yeah, true. But you have to appreciate that it's always, it's always going to be a trade-off between quality um, and, and race pace as well. You're looking at really setting the car up averagely fast with the the average fuel load. So um, if, you, if you're purely looking at that one lap pace, you might set the balance up to give you that one lap pace. It's going to cause all kinds of problems when you get on full tanks of fuel. Um, the car's heavier. So it's a real trade-off between uh, nailing that one lap and, and having a, a car that's it's good over an entire stint. Averagely fast is my new favourite thing from you, Tom, now. So uh, I appreciate you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> appreciate you saying that. So adding to frustrations on the Friday, the big upgrade Mercedes were expected to bring turned out to be only a new front wing. I say only. But in you know in uh, in quotation marks, obviously spanners. We hope further upgrades are on their way. But did the front wing work as expected? I don't know. <laughs> but do you know what? I, like this is interesting. What Tom was saying about the the trade off between qualifying and and race pace. Lewis Hamilton has long. I think he was one of the first to kind of go, okay, I don't need to set up for quali. The most important thing is race pace. Get past Nico Rosberg. So. This package has been basically deemed a failure by the whole of the Mercedes fan base because it turned up on Friday looking sad and it didn't do very well at the end of uh, qualifying as well in the end of, at the end of Q3. But in the race, that looked like the second best overall package. And, you know, this season we're going to see differences when you have a track that suits one car over another. And I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting about Verstappen for a second. I'm forgetting about Verstappen as hard as I can. Who's that? Apart from that... Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, but apart from that, it's, it's really mixed up. And what is dictating it, it seems at the moment, is not only the tracks, and obviously track characteristics suit different teams, 
uh, but I think the tire wear is going to be real, really key. So they've come in with this now, this this new harder compound. So teams that were struggling with tire wear, which wasn't really Mercedes, that's probably one of Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton's strengths. If Pirelli are now have have a tire that lasts forever, an Omni tire, a Sochi tire that's going to last forever and ever, that might take away a little bit of that the shine off that. Although I'm hoping Pirelli will look at this race and go, oh no, we went too far the other way, and that might swing it back to Mercedes a little bit. So I, the the real hard, durable tires made McLaren perhaps look a little bit less vulnerable than they might ordinarily be. But I I think this package came out and it looks like the second best race car now that some intelligent and handsome podcasters were predicting from race one. Yeah, well, I'd I'd just like to jump in there, sorry. Tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's just jumping back to the updates. I, as a Mercedes fan, I, I felt that, uh, you know, we were, we were all expecting this magic solution, big, big change. I think you said, Toto was saying that the car was going to be noticeably different uh, visually. Uh, and then for them to just turn up with the front wing, I just I just found that a bit, little bit disappointing. So, Naturally, everyone's then going to go, well, it must be, you know, they're going to be slow now. But yeah, I, one thing I didn't appreciate, which is, um, which is a lot, again, a lot of people don't really uh, appreciate that part, when you design parts, they don't just appear from a CAD model. We have to design tooling. You have to employ people to, to lay up the carbon. So I was talking to some of the guys at work today who, do, who have been laminating various components on F1 cars, and they were saying that, uh, you know, a typical floor could take up to three weeks to laminate a floor of this size. And, and yeah, and it all, plus then all the intricate little bits and pieces that go onto it. You, you have to appreciate that it's not, it's not going to appear overnight. And that takes a lot of, uh, a lot of resources, a lot of money all coming out of the budget cap. The one positive, again, we've seen is that they are now better in the slow speed. Uh, in the, they used to be probably the worst car in slow speed in the top 10 now they've taken a big step forward in that and i think that's something that they had to do uh do it in this race to to to, to gain the time loss back in in the high speed um because they can't run the downforce that they they would need to get that pace back in in the high speed um so they they really focus on the low speed that's a positive mm-hmm. takeaway from it no that's not deluded enough for me let me help let me let me help bring in some some delusion what what i thought they were doing was they fundamentally they knew they didn't have the the body package the the zero pods seemed to be really hurting them so they gave themselves a platform where now i mean they could rip those pods off tom couldn't they and they could they could bolt red bull pods on if they wanted they could bolt aston martin pods on and so they've got the platform to do that and I thought the front wing was meant to kind of now, okay, well, now we're going to start at the front wing and we'll work our way our way back. So I didn't see it as all that negative. I, I never saw Silverstone as like a promise that it would be complete. If you make changes to your, and I'm a complete tech amateur, but if you make substantial changes to your front wing, you've got to then work back from there and, and learn what your front wing is doing and giving you. Yeah, absolutely right. The front wing is the first thing that makes contact with the air. So anything that the front wing is doing is going to have a knock-on effect down the car. I don't know if this is a track-specific wing or it's something that's going to uh, allow further developments. Um, I'm not too sure on that at the moment, but uh, yeah, we'll wait and see on, on that. I don't want to wait. I want it now. But heading into Saturday, Mercedes sacrificed their straight-line pace, adding a bit of front wing to their package, which seemed to help a little bit. But in a really exhilarating qualifying, the boys qualified P6 and P7, which is about par for the course 
for the season that we've had already. The shock being that it was Mercedes customer engine team McLaren who seemed to have leapfrogged them on one lap pace. So Spanners, is this another setback for the team from Brackley and Bricksworth? Uh, no, well, this is the th- I think they just they might have overdone it. So they've they've gone one way saying, well, we need to prioritize race pace. But look, we've seen lots of sessions where uh, where that first run in Q3 gets you know becomes the the lap that you use and there's a yellow flag and someone crashes out and and that's your your lap and had that happened lewis hamilton was second and it was a track where there was nearly constant track evolution throughout the weekend and through that session and it felt like a little bit of a dice roll in all honesty which car it was going to suit which car it wasn't going to suit so I, I wouldn't panic about that i think at most tracks they're going to be faster than mclaren so let mclaren have their day my goodness and what what a day they had um, you look at ferrari and you say okay ferrari are ahead of us we're probably going to get past them and a little bit unfortunate that overtaking conditions at silverstone you know just seem to be that little bit more difficult there seemed to be an excess of of marbles and also, uh, the conditions are going to play a big part. Track temperature plays a big part in which team it's going to suit. But you look ahead at that grid, and it's not really terrible. You go, yeah, we'll, we'll probably get past the McLarens. Obviously, they didn't. We'll probably get past those Ferraris. Let's prioritize race pace. I still think that's what they're doing, and it just didn't quite work out. So I think you know it's one of those things. It was a little bit of a dice roll in Q3. I just wouldn't panic. I just think I think Mercedes are plugging away. What what's Toto Wolf saying? He's not saying, well, we need to sort out qualifying so we're on pole for the rest of 2023. They're being pretty upfront. It's all a learning exercise. They're looking at 2024 and they want to win races this season. No one's thinking that they're going to come back and and storm the championship. So I know I wasn't panicking after Q3. You got asked, ah, it's not quite gone their way. But if you look back to qualifying sessions this season, we weren't always confident they were going to get out of Q3. We weren't always confident they were going to get out of Q2. But there was no doubt, you know, today, the, oh, sorry, Saturday, that they were going to make it, you know, into Q3 comfortably. And that's what you've got. You've got five teams who are more than likely going to make it into Q3, who have different approaches to grid position versus race pace. Yeah, and I'd also just like to point out just how close everyone was in quality. So, you know, the gap from Norris to George was two, only two tenths over 3.7 miles, I think Silverstone is, which is which are really very close, very impressively close over such a long um, lap. And even even to the Ferraris, what you're looking at, 800s, super, super close. Any any change in, in wind direction could, could fluctuate each person's lap time by that much. So it's just how it goes. I think it's, you know, it, it's, it's so close that you cannot predict where you're going to be properly. It's... Always going to be a trade-off between uh, quality pace and race pace, but I think Mercedes are smart enough to know, you know, the, the points are won on Sunday, so let's focus on the race pace and and if it comes to sacrificing the quality pace, let's do so. I thought the way Toto was walking around the paddock, I thought he was going to go into the McLaren garage and get his get his engine back, but, you know, he can't do that. And you mentioned Spanner's Toto Wolf there, and he suggests that Mercedes were only losing time in the high-speed corners. And we've had a few questions about this from listeners on Twitter as well. All so, right. So, Spanner's is going straight to you. Kibi asks, what happened to oh, yeah. the Merck performance on the high-speed corners? It seems that the edge they had over their competitors 
was in the slow speed. Thanks for listening, Kiwi. Um, I'll give it a go. I mean, you've, you've probably asked the, the wrong person straight out of the bat when we've got a tech expert here. Uh, but I, I wonder, because Lewis Hamilton kind of demands more downforce. And I think if there's ever a choice he always seems to go for, right, what gives me the most mechanical grip, what pins me to the ground, and then in the race he'll complain that he doesn't have, you know, well, you know, he doesn't have straight line speed. Yeah, because you've spent since 2013 asking for ultimate downforce out of the car. Uh, the, the, I, I'll, I'll admit, I don't know. I don't know where the high-speed performance has uh, gone or the high-speed corner performance has gone, but perhaps it could be because Mercedes have really concentrated on their suspension, and that was the, one of the big early upgrade changes. And so maybe that's where they've really improved their their slow speed performance. And, and it could just be a case of McLaren really kind of focusing on getting that that Aston Martin aero working for them and, and, and concentrating on the high speed. And if you look at it, they were a little bit low drag as well. So they seem to disappear out of the corners when you saw Lewis Hamilton even get a run on the McLaren out of Luffield. Norris was still able to to pull away. So I think like, you know, Tom was trying to explain, you know, there's a lot of trade-offs now, especially in the cost cap era. So, you know, of, of all the teams that ha- are, uh, of all the teams that have operated within the cost cap window, none of them are dominating every single race compared to their competitors. The order of the cost cap compliant teams is moving around event to event. I think this is going to sound quite controversial, but I, I don't think that they are. I think what we're seeing is that they they cannot afford to run the level of downforce that that uh, um, Norris and and Piastri are running purely because they have to they have to keep up with them in straight line speed. If they're going to make a pass on them, they have to keep that straight line speed competitive. And I think what was happening is that, the, that they were they were trying to derive their lap time from the slow speed, so setting the car up for that slow speed. As yeah, you spend more time in that slow speed. But yes, arguably other teams are making progress. So um, it might be that they, you know, they have, they actually, they can't find that downforce, for example. But, but in my opinion, I think it's, it's more that they, they did have to sacrifice um, some, some wing that they, they would have preferred to run um, to keep up in the high speed. And we're talking about the high speed. We're, we're saying cops, maggots, Beckett's were sort of, they're losing around, around a 10th, let's say, but the, the real killer was uh, was Stowe. So one corner um, on the lap where they were just losing handfuls of time, um, particularly in the race. By deriving the, the, the slow speed in order to combat the, the losses in the high speed, I think that's the direction that they were going in. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So moving on to the race then, George bucked the trend by starting on softs and did a mammoth management stint on them that essentially changed the look of the race for everyone around them. He was ultimately unlucky, Spanners, with the timing of the safety car later in the race. No, 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 I don't think so. I think I, you're wrong. No, it's not unlucky <laughs> at all. I, right, okay. So I, at the moment, I'm on a bit of a, a Russell, but I, I, I'm I'm watching him. I'm keeping an eye on what he's doing. I think yeah, Tom's should you be right. worried. Like, yeah, he should be worried. Oh no, that guy in the shed thinks he's keeping his eye on me. So. Last season, people, for whatever reason, thought he was doing better than Hamilton. But, you know, just looking at the race pace, and that's my personal thing of when I'm judging a driver, I'm looking at the lap times during the race. I'm seeing how they're managing a stint. So, yes, George Russell was closer to Lewis Hamilton in overall race pace than he has been this season. I I think that might be down to the fact that the the tyres needed less management. But even in this race, you know, you, you saw Lewis Hamilton basically stretch out the medium tires an infinite amount. And he said, I from the very beginning, I was planning to just go until there's a safety car. And if there wasn't a safety car, I wasn't going to pit until the last lap. He was going to fully wait for a safety car. So not so so from Hamilton's point of view, that's what he's gone for. That was his strategy, and and that is a skill he has over other drivers to be able to be confident that he can make that happen. Now, remember the Pirelli predictions was that you would either have a two stop on soft, medium, soft, or you'd have a one stop from medium onto hard tires. And from the very beginning, he was going to make his mediums go to the end of the race. No one else was predicting this. No one else in the pundit world, no one online was saying, okay, it's going to be a one stop onto softs. And you didn't start thinking about that until George Russell had no drop-off on his softs. Even after like 20 laps, there was hardly any drop-off. And that's when you go, oh my goodness, if he's doing that on a full tire load, that means Hamilton can do that as the as the fuel starts to dissipate. So, you know, that was, that was a, a great tire management stint from, from Lewis Hamilton. And they even said to him, no, you're managing too much. You know, we can go, we can definitely push. We've seen that the wear is kind of okay. And then, um, so he's made that, tactic happen. Russell, on the other hand, once again, and this is why I'm watching him, once again, going for that alternate strategy. Why is George Russell always going against the field for an alternative strategy? It's getting a bit Jensen button in intermediate conditions E. So Jensen's button, as soon as the uh, the rain started to fall or the track started to dry, he'd basically just try and go against the grain. So the rain starts to fall He'd uh, and everyone else is you know, staying out on slicks. He'd go, right, I'll go for a wet tire. If it came off, he looked like a genius. If it didn't, no one thought about it. He disappeared into the the mid pack. And I feel like Russ was kind of doing that at the moment. Every single race, he seems to be going for the alternate strategy. And in previous races, it's been bolt on the harder tire from the start, go long, wait for the safety car window. That's a legitimate strategy. That's fine. This time, he went for the alternate strategy, which was to go for the softer tire. I don't know the reasoning behind that, but everyone else in that top 10 started on mediums. Why does George Russell keep going for the alternate strategy? 
it's like, yes, you're looking for an advantage. You're looking for something different, but it's almost like he doesn't trust himself matching everybody else to just go for that normal plan A. If I'm being too harsh and you're all Russell Fossey, yell at me now. Just to, to step in, um, I actually, at the time, I thought it was actually a really, really good call, um, mainly because I, I live uh, about 10 miles southeast of Silverstone. And about half an hour before the start of the race, we had the heaviest shower just came out of nowhere. Um, not not enough to make the track um, fully wet for any length of time. So it, it would have just sprinkled the track. Um, and what? And at the time, I was thinking that's going to that's going to arrive exactly at the start of the race. So in in theory, that would have been the best tire to start on. You could you can generate the heat better than than the mediums. Um, so if you're looking at it like that, maybe yeah. It was if it was going to rain, it would have been the better strategy. But um, by by rolling the dice again, you're 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 going again. against the grain, like you're saying, Span. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd, it's a tough one, isn't it? It's what do you do? It's it's all in hindsight, and and I don't. I do think Russell is doing a great job um, alongside Hamilton at the moment, um, and and I do think that he does need some praise where where you. Um, uh, instead of uh, maybe being quite critical on some of some of his long run pace, especially especially the, the softs at the start of this race that his stint one is was really 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 impressive. Um, can I come? Can I come back then? Can I yeah, come back? No. Has yeah. what? Would you agree that if there's less deg, that suits Russell in comparison to Hamilton? Yes, I do agree. Yes, um, but his look at his his stint on the softs. It was great uh, yesterday. Yeah. So yeah. You know, he brought them in nice, nice and gently, and extended right. Was it right up until what, lap twenty nine or something crazy? Um, and, and not not getting too carried away with following Leclerc as well. It's so easy just to to, to, to put too much energy into the tires when you're following or chasing a driver that you're 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 tempted to get past. Um, but yeah, playing playing the intelligent game and, and letting Leclerc box oh, in front smart. of him and then. Yeah, absolutely. So he, he's cunning. He's cunning as a fox. He, he's definitely he's thinking it. But I just wonder whether all, all all the time going for the alternative strategy is maybe kind of overthinking it. But uh, Balve, I think I've made Tom mad at me. So like, I want to defend myself to you, and I want to say like, look, like I think Russell has the hardest job in F one. Like I think he's got like one of the be- only Perez and him can talk about the challenge they're facing in the teammate battle. Like he's definitely got a hard job but do you not think russell's learning a lot being next to uh i call him an eight-time world champion but shoot me now but do you not think he's learning <gasps> a lot from from hamilton well i wonder i wonder if he's learning a lot because he keeps he seems to be putting himself in direct opposition to lewis hamilton so he sort of gave the game away when the safety car came out and lewis hamilton benefited from that tactic of going long and waiting for a safety car window which george russell himself has employed on several occasions over the last 18 months he sort of gave away on the radio didn't he that he was he only had eyes for where hamilton was and he was very disappointed that hamilton had had gained and had already pitted and therefore wasn't going to pit in behind him it was quite a telling remark and it's not unreasonable of course he's got eyes on his teammate but you know from a pr point of view to go oh we've been gifted a podium position by the safety car oh no that whoa george yeah take take a chill uh so yeah is he learning or is he competing so when when your team principal goes to 10 downing street 
and goes to the 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 heart of Parliament and says, "We owe Lewis Hamilton an eighth world world title." He literally said that outside Ten Downing Street. You might go, okay, this is still my my learning phase. This is still my ears open phase. Maybe this is not the time where I need to like go for the throat because the team might not be happy. Um, yeah, look, he's a he's a young, ambitious guy. He's very quick. The overtake around the outside of Leclerc at Luffield was just. It was delicious. It looked impossible. Like he went for it and you go, no, not round the outside of Luffield, not even with that tire advantage. But yeah, it was incredible. So I'm not trying to be anti Russell in any way at all. Uh, but I've, I've found the strategy choices between the two drivers, the setup choices between the two drivers and how they seem to react to each other's results. Very, very interesting. Sticking on Lewis then. He didn't have the best start and fell back a few places, but benefited hugely from the safety car, like we mentioned. And Tom eventually took a very satisfying podium. Yeah, it was a bit of a scruffy start, wasn't it? Um, going with uh, effectively outbreaking himself into 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 turn three, um, maybe getting a bit carried away. Uh, but it is like any driver; he probably would have been able to stop the car, but he was feeling that he was running the risk of locking the inside wheel and, and ruining uh, his stint to follow. So it's probably a good thing that he, he jumped off the brake a little bit um, and took that extra uh, room on the, on the outside. But yeah, then obviously then losing out to, to Alonso and Gasly, which he then got past Gasly relatively quickly, which was good to see. Um, but then stuck behind Alonso for uh, a period of time, which, which, which really held him up a little bit, to be honest. Um, but didn't really play much in, in the final result, uh, thanks to the safety car, allowing him to box for the, the softs uh, later on, lap 33, I think it was. Um, and then taking the fight to Norris, which, you know, I, I, I love seeing the racing like this. You know, it, you don't have to make the overtake for it to be exciting. Uh, and seeing seeing how, how the other drivers are defending against, against each other. Um, some, some amazing positioning from, from Norris in, in the middle of Luffield. Uh, running Lewis into into the uh, the marbles on the outside, really really impressive stuff, exciting stuff to see as well. It's something I think that Formula One should learn from. It's it's not so much a, everyone's got this fascination of um, you know an overtaking area is after a long straight and a big stop, and then you turn into a really slow low speed corner. You know, overtaking should be it should be a series of corners yeah. where you build up to the overtake. Um, using different lines and, and chopping and, and, and cutting under each other, it just it, I, I can't help thinking that maybe if we if we were a bit more uh, clever about how we design circuits, we we could see better racing rather than just focusing on the on the error regulations. Matt, from um, the from yeah. the yeah from the loop all the way down to Maggots and Beckett's, that's probably one of the best r- sequences of corners in F one. Yeah, absolutely. I do think maybe maybe Cops is a bit too fast in when you come out of Luffield to allow the, the move to be done. Say, for example, when Lewis was down the inside of, of Norris, maybe if, if you could, you know, if that was a bit of a slow corner, you could you could get on the brakes there and, and you could make the move uh, stick rather than risking an almighty accident like we've seen. Um, in, in previous years, I've got some Lewis notes as well. Um, <laughs> you, you might be, you might, you might well be right, you know. And uh, I think George Russell is definitely close enough to Lewis that he's going to have some weekends that he's he's better than Lewis Hamilton. I think that's absolutely no doubt of that in the natural swing of weekends. But Hamilton's overall performance was was ruined by obviously a, a poor poorer quality qualifying than they would want, 
And lap one, I have a theory that he can't pass Carlos Sainz. Like I don't, I don't think he knows how to pass Carlos Sainz. He got checked up by him in, in, in Baku. He had to avoid him here in Silverstone. He basically, he keeps finding himself behind Carlos Sainz and then, and then getting a run on him in the early corners and then having to check up. And there's definitely a couple more examples of that in the in the last couple of seasons where he has just found himself not wanting to stick the nose in. And when you look at, at drivers like like Lando Norris and you look at drivers like Verstappen, you know, they will always send it, stick their nose in. They're willing to gamble a little bit. And Lewis seems to have got into a phase in his career where he's not particularly willing to 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 gamble. You know, he doesn't he'd rather have the slight impediment and the, the slight slowdown than maybe get the negative press or maybe from letting his team down by by having a, a DNF. And he just doesn't seem to, to do it anymore. And the only one exception is Spa, where he kind of closed the door on, on Alonso and Alonso was determined uh, to keep his nose in and he was probably entitled to do so. But apart from that, we've seen Lewis Hamilton lose out on lap one a great deal, but we've not seen him DNF on lap one a great deal. So it might be the overall, you know, the the best tactic. But we saw it with Lando Norris as well, and it was a theme. And I think I think if you'd swapped those those drivers around in those exact same cars, those exact same conditions, I I think Lando Norris gets Hamilton eight times out of ten, and they crash two times out of ten. But I don't think Hamilton was ever going to be willing to take out Lando Norris at the British Grand Prix and rob, you know, two British drivers of a podium position. It's look, he's not, he's not that 25 year old, just hot head driver that was hitting Massa every other race. And, you know, I, I can't blame him. I can't blame him because I think the odds, the, the, the peril is higher for him. I don't think Hamilton can have a few races in a row taking people out anymore. And it just get gets brushed over. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Actually, I think, you know his his racecraft is there if you look for it. Um, can you remember Australia this year, turn three, a fantastic move down uh, down the inside of uh, of uh, Verstappen, uh, perfectly timed, perfectly executed. Um, and I think yeah, I think it is something maybe to do with you know he's got that risk versus reward thing in his brain that's telling him that you know you need to you need to settle for p3 here and not and not risk too much and suffer with the media fallout afterwards so i think we will see it when it when push comes to shove and it's a move for the championship we will see it come out i think um but yeah all in good time that's a good point there's what was on the line yesterday p2 instead of p3 and what was to risk wiping out two british drivers at the british grand prix <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, the newspapers would have a would have a field day with that. But I just wanted to to talk about the pit stops. Uh, we'll talk about obviously Mercedes pit stops, especially with George's car. So it's something we've spoken about before. But PV asked Tom, why are Mercedes pit stops so slow at the moment? Yeah, it's a good question. It's something that all the teams practice and practice and practice uh, day in day out. Um, when they and when they get to the the, the racetrack as well, there is a constant thing that they're doing trying to improve their pit stop performance um so i don't think it's necessarily something to do with the mechanics that they're using it's probably just an area of development that they haven't put the resource into necessarily so things like the, the wheel nuts and how they how they interact with the threads on the hubs for example um how the guns operate and, and uh, how the, even the jacks lift the car up and all of those little pieces you can you can find um, tenths of a second that add up to to 
to something more substantial. Um, so, yeah, I just think it's probably something that they haven't developed as much as other teams maybe. Um, for whatever reason, I'm not sure. Um, but, yeah, I don't think it's, it's necessarily down to the, down to the mechanics um, and, and the, the guys operating the guns and jacks uh, and the choreography of that um, necessarily. So, again, if it, if it proves to be a problem, it's something that they'll probably then start to address. But it's, it's if you can justify that time um, and resource to find time gains in that area. It's it's down to the team, really. Yeah, definitely is down to the team. And another question from Twitter. I think, Tom, you're the main man for this. Again, it seems like Mercedes is going to put their focus on 2024 soon and only bring minor upgrades for the rest of the season. What is your take on that? In my opinion, they don't seem to have the understanding of their car yet to focus on 24 fully. And that's from Adelaide on Twitter. Yeah, this is something I've been thinking about, actually. Uh, I don't know whether, you know, they're, they're thinking about uh, all of this is planned, where they are sat at the moment and their pace is already planned. I don't know. Maybe it is. It's it's It could be that, you know, McLaren bringing their upgrades now has, has punched them into the mix, but they're still a long way down in the championship. You're, you're fighting um, Aston Martin, who are now behind you. Um, so I don't, I'm, I'm wondering if they've got these upgrades or or uh, a, a dis, uh, defined direction that they're going in, ready to be to go into manufacture, then end, end up on the car, and it's all all pre-planned, and they're ban- balancing the, the cost that they're going to put into that route versus uh, the cost that they're putting into developing uh, next year's car, um, and and whether or not they're they're managing that actually quite well, and it's just not that we're not seeing it at the moment. Um, or the alternative is that they're, they're really struggling with this year's car and, and have given up really um, and are 100% focused on next year. So it's something that we're not going to know from an outside outsider, but, you know, I think... We could guess. Let's guess. I think we should guess. Let's go with it's, it's all planned. Let's <laughs> go with that one. I think yeah. they, they've and, run out of steam. So can I... Crit- are we allowed to criticise Mercedes? Please do. Oh. Please do. Are you sure? Okay, so look... Let's be completely honest here. I'm a Mercedes fan, Hamilton fan. Love the fact that he was able to get six world championships. Absolutely delicious, brilliant. Inject that into my veins as a, you know, 80s, 90s F1 fan watching Ferrari just dominate the sport, have every one of the officials in their pocket, allegedly, and also be able to outspend the competition and getting historical payments. So for Mercedes to come in, uh, and and just be, you know, pick up that that Braun team over the the, the Red Bull cajillionaires and just outspend everyone. That's what they did. They had a thousand team members, I think. Well, Red Bull had like three hundred during the turbo hybrid era. I'm I'm pulling figures, you know, out of out of my trousers. But it was a substantial advantage. So they did have that advantage where they could just outspend. And anytime they looked in trouble, 2017, 2018, they were great at utilizing this engineering Goliath and throwing money at it and, and, and going and winning. So that happens in sport. You know, Man City, uh, uh, Man City did it. Uh, Chelsea did it. Colchester United did it to nom- dominate the conference league in 1996. So we just have to be honest about the fact that Mercedes did outspend everyone and the cost cap was specifically to nerf Mercedes doing that. But now the cost cap has come in and you go, okay, everyone's had a kind of a fair shake of the stick. Red Bull 
got it right. So let's be honest about that as well. Obviously, Red Bull also overspent, so we should acknowledge that as well. And the punishment was a slap on the wrist and won't affect them at all. So we'll acknowledge that. But we are now, because of bringing in the cost cap to nerf Mercedes, we're now in a formula where there's only so much you can do to catch up. So do you want the formula where uh, teams are limited in which case you will have to make regulation sets last forever so that teams have got time to catch up and optimize that regulation set. Well, they're not doing that because there's only two more seasons of this regulation set before 2026 and a completely different engine model. So that doesn't make any sense. That's not going to work. Do do you unleash the teams so that only massive manufacturers with a huge budget can come in? Well, we already saw that didn't work because Renault didn't want to come in and outspend Mercedes, Ferrari or Fiat weren't upping their investment to match Mercedes. So it's a, it's a, that's that's the conundrum, isn't it? That's the core valve. You know, what do we want? We did it. We nerfed Mercedes. Now, what kind of formula do you want? Do you increase the cost cap? Do you lower the cost cap? Where do you go? I think this is all very integral into how teams approach, which I think was the listener question, whether to focus on this season or next season. It is a, it is a great point. I think that's a perfect Time to wrap up as well, finishing on the mile of Colchester United. So, Spanners, Tom, thank you so much for <laughs> oh, joining us. Oh, did I do us. that again? <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. It's like a tick. That's <laughs> no, fine. It's fine. So, uh, Tom, Spanners, as always, an absolute pleasure joining us here on the Silver Arrows podcast. Yeah, thank you, Belle. Cheers, mate. And that's all we have time for this week. A massive thank you to Tom and Spanners for joining us. Their social media handles are in the show notes. And thanks to you for listening. Do remember to follow us on Twitter at MerkF1Pod and hit that follow button in your podcast app. If you're enjoying these episodes and feeling extra kind, drop us a review and share this episode with anybody who you think may enjoy it. We'll see you soon. 